Welcome to Real Christianity, where our mission is to bring the church back to the Bible. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'm the president of Relearn.org and Reformation Seminary. The premise of this show is simple. The culture is growing darker. The church is in need of sound doctrine, and many Christians are hungry for the truth. Join me here each week as we look to Scripture and discover what it really means to be a Christian. Welcome to the show. Today's episode is a unique episode. Instead of me recording this sermon on my podcast mic, I have recorded my preaching at our Bible study here in Cottonwood, Arizona. And here's why I did this. Uh, Today's message needed to be preached and not teached. Uh, Today's message has power because the verse that I cover in this episode is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Uh, Today I'm going to be preaching on Romans 1.16. I've titled this episode, How to Overcome Fear when sharing the gospel. Uh, The sermon is about 30 minutes, and I believe it'll leave you uh, not only convicted, but also excited to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we begin, I just wanted to mention this episode's sponsor. As you know, I don't partner with many advertisers, but this company is owned by a personal friend, and I truly do stand behind their products. Uh, The company is called Ascend Wood. And they're a Christian-owned husband and wife business dedicated to reaching the nations for the gospel through their Christian bracelets and apparel. Now, many, many, many people have bought these bracelets and apparel. They put a good dent in their mission. Their primary partner uh, in ministry is in Haiti, where they have a portion of every item sold is donated to sponsor a child, pay for their food, cover schooling. So Ascend Wood has a strong passion for global missions and really quality products. So for their latest Ascend gear, you can visit ascendwood.com or follow them on Instagram at ascendwood. Uh, Also, I just wanted to mention quickly before we jump in that uh, my newest book, The Manliness of Christ, is now available for purchase at relearn.org forward slash man. Again, that's relearn.org forward slash man. On that note, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, as we learn how to overcome fear when sharing the gospel. Today's text is from Romans chapter 1, verses 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you're uh, new uh, this week, this is our fourth sermon, or my fourth sermon in our series through Romans, which is, in my opinion, the world's greatest book. It's the most effective explanation of the gospel that's ever been written. Now, last week, we completed the uh, final portion of the letter's introduction, where we learned that Christians long and love to be with other Christians. In fact, if you don't long and love to be with other Christians, it's worth examining to see if you're truly born again. 1 John 4, 19 through 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Today, we make a transition out of the introduction 
of this letter and into the thesis of this letter. And I would argue that today's verse is the most important verse in the entire letter. Now, some argue that this is the most important verse in the entire Bible. Uh, if you've been listening, however, to my preaching for long, you uh, have noticed that I like to summarize my teaching, uh, the, the, the passage that we're talking about. I like to offer what I call a summary sentence or a, a succinct uh, sentence of what the meaning of the passage uh, is about. And I do this because I want to allow you to see how the text supports that summary or my conclusion about the meaning of the text. Last week's summary was Christians long and love to be with other Christians. So I hope you saw that axiom clearly taught in that text. Today's summary is if you love people, you will tell them the gospel. If you love people, you will tell them the gospel. Now remember, this text has to remain in context. Okay, this is often a verse uh, taken out uh, on its own, uh, but it is part of this letter. Uh, the previous verse says, So I'm eager to preach to the, go the gospel to you who are in Rome. In short, Paul is saying that I love you and I long to be with you. And because God loves you, I love you. And because I love you, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Mark Dever, in his book on evangelism, writes, quote, We are called to love others. We share the gospel because we love people. We don't share the gospel because we don't love people. Instead, we wrongly fear them. We don't want to cause awkwardness. We want their respect. And after all, we figure if we try to share the gospel with them, we'll look foolish. And so we're quiet. We protect our pride at the cost of their souls. In the name of not wanting to look weird, we are content to be complicit in their being lost. End quote. Sharing the gospel is another evidence of your status with God. Saved people love talking about their Savior. Now, I understand that uh, even saved people are intimidated to preach the gospel. I understand that Christians often feel ill-equipped to evangelize. I understand that it's difficult to discern when to engage or not. But I, just allow, allow me to remind you that we don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit's prompting and conviction in areas where God's word has already commanded instruction. And Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit's prompting for these specific moments to preach the gospel when we already have a clear instruction to do so. The gospel is something that is always to be proclaimed. And I think that when we, when we ponder on the gospel, when we think of the gospel, when we reflect and devote ourselves to the gospel, when we praise uh, God because we have studied the gospel, I often say that uh, front of mind equals tip of tongue. Front of mind equals tip of tongue. When we are front of mind with the gospel, it will come out in our lives with others. 
Matthew 28 through 18 through 20, as we know, is the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Today, we will not only review the message of the gospel, but we'll also attempt to see why it's so offensive to humanity. But even more than that, we're going to see why some Christians have been ashamed of the gospel and how you can overcome your sinful embarrassment through a faithful comprehension of what the gospel really is. And so let's read the passage one more time as we get ready to break down this verse word by word. Chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul doesn't begin with saying that he's proud of the gospel or bold with the gospel. He declares that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's implying that while he is not embarrassed or uncomfortable to proclaim the gospel of Christ, there are many people who are ashamed. You know, some of you basically is what he's saying. Some may be ashamed of Christ, but not me. And it obviously begs the question, why would someone be ashamed of the gospel? What's preventing people from proclaiming the message of the cross? To understand uh, some historical cultural context of this kind of Greco-Roman world, uh, let's look at Justin Martyr's third century dialogue with Trypho. Trypho was a Jew and a scholar. Uh, I want you guys to see how this period of time thought of Christians. Trypho writes, quote, Your Jesus, having fallen under the extreme curse of God, we cannot sufficiently admire how you can expect any good from God who place your hopes upon a man that was crucified, end quote. You see, crucifixion was viewed as the most cursed way to die. If you were crucified, you were detestable, right? You were shameful. Uh, another discourse with a third century Greek philosopher said to the Christians, quote, where is your understanding, you who worship for a God, him who was crucified, end quote. While preparing this sermon, I was listening to a message by John MacArthur on this same text. Uh, he mentioned that archaeologists have found small ancient Roman statues, uh, kind of trinket-type statues you could put maybe on uh, a shelf. And there were pictures or, or a, a, a form of a man worshiping at the foot of a cross. But the cross doesn't hold Christ, it holds a donkey. And on that cross somewhere, it, it reads, you are we who worship a jackass. See, Christianity was the laughingstock of the ancient philosophical world. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. This is a description of recognizing 
There's not many of us here in the early church who came from this wise and noble background. To the world's standards, Christianity was a faith for fools. Now you'd think that God, when he sent his son to the earth, that every person would just run to the occasion, that every man would be willing to hear and eager to embrace the way of salvation. But instead it was the exact opposite. Christ and his gospel were rejected. Instead of opening their hearts to the man and the message that could save their souls, what'd they do? They, they crucified him. Instead of embracing the message of the apostles and the first disciples, they beheaded John the Baptist. They stoned Stephen. They crucified Peter upside down. They, they stabbed Thomas and Matthew. They tortured Philip. They stoned James. They burned Matthias. And they fed Ignatius to the lions. And they tied an anchor around the neck of Clement. And they cast him into the ocean. Okay, there's, there's a reason that Jesus in Scripture is called the rock of offense. The message of Jesus was offensive to the flesh of man. The idea that you have sinned against a holy God and deserve death and eternal punishment, the idea that you are condemned as you stand, the idea that you cannot be made right with God apart from Jesus Christ, the idea that you are not the ruler of your life, the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to God except by him. The idea that you must comply with Jesus or burn. That idea will get you killed. That idea will get you killed. If you read John Fox's Book of Martyrs, you're going to see how brutal men can be against those who preach Christ. Men hiss and gnash their teeth at the gospel. But why? Why do people hate the gospel? Why is the message of the cross so offensive? The answer is actually quite simple. It's not complex. We love our sin. We love darkness. We love autonomy. We want to live how we see fit. We want to determine what is right and wrong for our lives. Jesus in John 3, 18 through 21. You can open up your Bibles if you'd like. It's John 3, 18 through 21. It says, Whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. He goes on, he says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest his works should be exposed. I once heard a, a uh, illustration. If, if you went to a nightclub at 11 o'clock at night, and you turned off or turned on all the lights. Would the people in that nightclub be happy or angry? You know, they'd be angry, right? Because the light exposes them. See, light prevents people from hiding their shameful behavior. Light shows that slip of the hand of that gentleman onto that woman's body. 
Light shows how drunk a person might be. Light shows the, the dealings and the handlings of things that are happening in the dark. Like cockroaches, we run from dark place to dark place in the flesh. Mankind, mankind hates the light. We hate the light. Charles Spurgeon once said, You cannot slander human nature. It is worse than words can put it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 describes people before they come to Christ, all of us in our flesh. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. How do we live? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when we ask the question, why is the gospel rejected? It's simple. We hate it. We hate the idea that we need a savior. We love following the way of the world. We love following our own passions. We love following our own lusts. We love living the way that we want to live. The idea of turning away from our own lives and submitting to Jesus is foolish to the person who is lost. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. Ultimately, preaching the biblical gospel is dangerous. Ask any Christian in Pakistan or China. Ask any Christian in Nigeria and North Korea. Ask any Christian in Iran or Syria. Okay, the gospel enlivens the hatred of men. The most persecuted people on earth are not Muslims or Hindus. They're not black or Asians. They're not homosexuals or transgenders. They're, they're Christians. Christians are the most hated people on this planet. And Paul knew this all too well. In responding to the church at Corinth, uh, who had false teachers mocking Paul because uh, they said he lacked luxury and popularity, uh, Paul boasts in his weakness and he says this, and pay attention here, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 28. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am more so with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift in the sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, end quote. This testimony from Romans 1.16 is what makes Paul's text here so powerful. 
Okay, Paul says, says that even though I have suffered so much for Christ, even though I have been beaten for Christ, I am not ashamed of the gospel. But why? Why is Paul, after such hate, after such a history of rejection, after such danger and risk and hostility, not ashamed of the gospel? How does Paul keep showing up? How does he continue to preach a message that produced such vitriol and malice? How does he keep going? How does he remain faithful even until death? What's the driver behind his commitment to the gospel? And the answer is found in the second half of this verse. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here's the second half. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the means by which God saves people from sin and misery and hell. The gospel is the lightning bolt that resurrects the spiritually dead man to life. Okay, the gospel is the force that changes the heart and the affections of a person. Ultimately, the gospel is man's only hope. Acts 4, 10 through 12 says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which, you have, which has become now the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Morals can't save you. Religion it's can't, it can't save you. Church attendance can't save you. Serving on the worship team can't save you. Obedience to God's law can't save you. Prayer can't even save you. The only thing that can save you is faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel. And what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's that understanding. It's that understanding that you were made. And that your maker has a right to tell you how you ought to live. And that you've sinned against your maker, breaking his moral law. This is why our world is so broken. It's why we get divorces and abort babies. It's why we become drug addicts and alcoholics. It's why we look at porn and have sex outside of marriage. This is why we have war and hatred and slavery and murder. I remember listening to Vody Bauckham live at the Shepherds Conference this year. And he's talking about the gospel and he's talking about the frustration that we have in sin with the sin in the world. And he says that we cry out for justice. And he noted what I'm going to note to you now. We don't want justice. We don't want justice. Because true justice means death and hell for every single one of us. True justice means that we get what we deserve, which is eternal punishment for our sins against an eternal God. We don't want justice. What we want is mercy and forgiveness and love. And this is exactly what we receive in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
The gospel teaches in God's mercy that he sent his only son, born of a virgin, right? Free from the curse of sin. A man who kept the law perfectly and who was, by God's design, sent to the cross to die the death that we deserved and to take on the wrath of God due to us. Okay, the gospel teaches that when we repent and believe in Christ, we give the very worst of ourselves, our sin, to Jesus, and he gives the very best of himself, his righteousness, to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. John MacArthur once pointed out, The gospel teaches that God treats Jesus as if he lived my life, so that he can treat me as if I lived his. This is an amazing concept here. This is the, 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 real, the center of the gospel, penal substitutionary atonement. Substitution, the doctrine that says that Christ dies in your place. Christ took the wrath that you deserve. He was your substitute. You didn't have to die. He died in your place. This is good news. This is good news. But without repentance without a transformed heart, without faith in Christ, that's all it is, news. If it's not seen and heard and believed, it's nothing. That's why Jesus would say things, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He has eyes to see, let him see. This is why we must call people to believe in Christ. This is why we must beg people to repent and trust in Christ alone. We must compel them to receive the message of the cross. John 3:36 says, "Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him." You see, this is why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save anyone who believes. Paul is willing to risk his own life to save the souls of others. He doesn't care about the beatings and the imprisonments and the hatred. He cares about souls. Charles Spurgeon once famously said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for, end quote. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, and neither should we. A Barna research study in 2019 showed the perspective of evangelism between different generations. The study found that almost half of, quote, practicing Christian millennials believed that evangelism was wrong. said that it was wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they would one day share the same faith, end quote. Okay, the only people who could believe this way are people who do not understand the gospel. Romans 10, 17 says what? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That is that faith, the very substance, the catalyst of salvation, It comes by hearing the word of Christ, or I could even argue reading the word of Christ, but hearing the word of Christ. Therefore, we need to preach the gospel. We need to open our mouths. We need to write it, record it, proclaim it, sing it, whatever it takes. Make sure that people hear it. 
I once heard that there were only two types of speakers in this world. Those who have something to say and those who have to say something. Okay, Christians are commanded to say something. We, we cannot be silent. We cannot sit idly by and watch people perish. It's time to tell people the gospel because you love them. It's time to study up so that you feel equipped to share the gospel when you have that opportunity. It's time to stop being so selfish and not thinking that understanding and comprehending the doctrines of the gospel is an unworthy endeavor. You must be prepared. There was a pastor of a church in Boston met a young boy in front of the sanctuary, and this is in the early 1900s, carrying a rusty cage in which several little birds fluttered nervously. The pastor inquired, he said, son, where did you get those birds? I trapped them in the field, the boy replied. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to play with them, and uh, I think just later I'm going to feed them to an old cat I have at home. When the pastor heard that he offered to buy them, sorry, when the pastor heard uh, he offered to buy these little birds, the boy said, "Uh, Mr., are you sure that you want to buy these little old birds? They can't even sing very well. The pastor replied, hey, I'll give you $2 for the cage and for the birds. The boy said, Okay, it's, it's a deal, right? You're, you're making a bad bargain. The exchange was made. The boy uh, went away, happy, right? Whistling, got his $2. Uh, the pastor walked around to the back of the church property, opened up the door of the small wire cage, and he let the struggling little birds fly into the sky. The next Sunday, that pastor took that empty cage into the pulpit and used it to illustrate Christ coming to seek and to save those who, like those little birds, were destined for destruction. You see, the difference, however, was the cost. The cost. Two dollars for the pastor, yet Christ had to purchase our freedom with his own blood. Christ had to purchase our freedom with his own blood. When you think of this, When you think of what Christ did for you, it requires us to be able to speak up for him. It requires us to have the passion and willingness to preach the gospel. Saved people like talking about Jesus Christ. Let's get out and share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this text. We thank you for your servant, Paul the witness to the resurrection, the apostle sent of Jesus Christ, has given us such clarity, systematic understanding of the gospel, has allowed us to learn from him, to learn from the Holy Spirit, has prepared us to understand the doctrines of the gospel so that we might faithfully present the gospel when given opportunity. Lord, we pray that those who are listening right now would have opportunities, Lord, that you would put a conviction in their heart to study, that they would be prepared, they'd be approved, that they'd be ready, in season and out of season, to share that gospel message, Father. Lord, that you would give them confidence, that they would not be 
altered by the fear of man, that they would not be altered by the questions that would come after, but Father, they would trust you, that you would guide them in the midst of these things. And Father, we ask that you would just put in a desire for evangelism. We don't want to become evangelists because we want to become moralists. We want a passion, a heart for the lost like you have a heart for the lost. Lord, give us that heart for the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. Real Christianity is a listener-supported audio ministry of relearn.org. Our mission at relearn.org is to bring the church back to the Bible. We achieve this through strengthening Christians in biblical and theological literacy. Find biblical articles, podcasts, sermons, and videos at our website at relearn.org. Our team is small, but our mission is large, and we need your help. If you'd like to support our ministry financially, you can always do so at relearn.org forward slash donate. Thank you again for joining me today, and I hope to see you next week for another episode of Real Christianity.